0: All right. Praises be to our loving Yahuwah God for gathering each one of us and for his abiding presence in our life. We are going to study his words. Before we do so, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting Father, gracious Yahuwah God, we gather before you once again to offer you praise and thanks. Indeed, you have shown us your way and your path. We will do our best to follow it. As human beings, we make mistakes. We ask for guidance, O Father, correction and discipline if need be, because we trust you and we believe that you love your people so very much. Lord, Yahushua, we pray to you as well. May you guide us in our study today. May you help us in preaching the words of our Father. And may you please work in our life and through our hearts that we will be like you and be able to fulfill the will of our Father. Amen. Oh God, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. Yes. You have forgiven also all our sins. Yes. Oh, we ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha. Amen. Amen. All right? Okay, thank you so much for attending our Bible study. We're going to go back to our Bible history project per se. We're going to go to the book of Exodus. We left Exodus chapter 3. In, in Exodus chapter 3, we studied all about the name Revealed by God to Moses, and from there we kind of took a a little uh, detour, or we went to study the name, and there's some questions. So today we go back to the book of Exodus chapter 4, this time to continue with the study of Exodus. However, at the end, we're going to go to our mailbox and answer some questions concerning our faith. Is that okay? So we'll go first with the book of Exodus chapter 4, and let's begin with 4 verse One, this is what it says, and Musha, that's Moses, answered and said, And if they do not believe me, nor listen to my voice, and say, Yahuwah has not appeared to you. Remember, God has given Moses an assignment. What is that? To go to Pharaoh and tell him to set my people free. But before going to Pharaoh, he first has to meet with the elders of the people of Israel and tell them that Yahuwah God has sent him exactly for that mission. And so here's Moses thinking about what he has to do about facing the people or the elders of Israel and eventually facing Pharaoh, the king of the most powerful and advanced country in the whole world at that time. And so he was thinking to himself, oh my goodness, what if... They do not believe me, which is natural, right? As a human being, you're going to have doubts about what you're going to do because you tried this before and you failed 40 years later. You kind of have a change of attitude, right? So he was humbled by the circumstances he was in. And whenever God gives us a mission, an assignment, it often involves us stepping out of our comfort zone. Always keep that in mind. If we want God to improve our life, we have to be willing to trust him enough do something that's not easy for us to do this is Moses and what he's about to do is totally outside his comfort zone and so when God gives us an assignment when God wants us to do something there's always an enemy and oftentimes that enemy lurking within us you know what it's called next slide please it's called the enemy of called fear right and I'm sure Moses was afraid when you're afraid it causes certain things Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Next slide, please. What did fear cause Moses to do? Well, he began to doubt. What if they do not believe me? Fear always causes us to doubt the promises and the ways of God. Next slide. So that's one cause of fear. This is why fear is an enemy of our faith. We need to have faith to extinguish fear so that we won't entertain fear. The doubts have come into our mind. And so what did uh, Yahuwah say to Moses? Exodus chapter 4, the verses 2. And Yahuwah said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And so Yahuwah knows what Moses is thinking of. And Yahuwah knows our human nature, human beings. We tend to doubt, right? human beings were overtaken by fear. And so it's a good thing God knows that about us. He knows we are weak. He knows we are dust. He looks at Moses and he says, what is that in your hand? What is it? His rod. That's all he really has. Before he was the prince. Now all he has is a staff, a rod. All he has going for him is he's a shepherd overseeing a bunch of flock. Right? And so God uses what we have. He doesn't use what we don't have. And so it doesn't really matter what we have. If it's a staff, it's a rod, that's good enough. And so he says, What's in your hand? A rod. What did God say for him to do with that rod? Exodus 4 3 down to 5. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Musha fled from it. And Yahuwah said to Musha, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they affirmed that Yahweh Alahim of their fathers, the Alahim of Abraham, the Alahim of Isaac, and the Alahim of Yaqub has appeared to you. So what did God say for Moses to do with his rod? To throw it into the ground. Immediately it became a serpent. And what did God say for Moses to do? Grab it by the tail and it became a rod again. Is that something we normally see in everyday life? No, it's called a sign. It's called a miracle. And so God provided Moses with a miracle to show the elders of Israel so that they will believe indeed Yahuwah, God, has sent him for this mission. Because you have to keep in mind, for 400 years, they were enslaved by the people of Egypt, they don't know any better. And so there was a need for them to have a sign so they can have inspiration and encouragement. What else did God show to Moses? Exodus 4, 6-7, and Yahuwah said to him again, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out and, and see, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. And he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And see, it was restored like his other flesh. So, another sign, another miracle. Because in Egypt, when you have leprosy, it was impossible to cure it. And so, what God is showing is the impossible becoming possible, which only means one thing. Indeed, God sent Musha or Moses. And so God sent two signs. Why? Exodus 4 and the verses 8. And it shall be, if they do not believe you, nor listen to the voice of the first sign, they shall believe the voice of the latter sign. You see, God knows about the stubbornness of his people Israel. It will take a while before they can be convinced. The truth of the matter is we too are like the Israelites, right? Sometimes we don't believe right away. We need to be convinced by miracles and signs. Even Lord Yahusha knows about this. This is why when he was here on earth preaching to the Jews, what did he say concerning them? And in actuality, concerning us all. John chapter 4, verse 8, Yahusha then said to him, If you people do not see signs and wonders, you do not believe at all. Isn't that human nature? I want to see a miracle. I will not believe until I see something that is spectacular, that is impossible by human hands. God knows human nature. And so God provided Moses with two signs, the rod and the leprosy. And so when Moses receive these two signs, what else did God say to him? Exodus chapter 4, verse 9. Let's go back to Exodus. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land, and the water which you take from the river shall become blood on the dry land. And so what God is saying here is, because he told Moses before, the people of Israel, the elders, they're going to believe you. But it might take a little more convincing for Pharaoh to believe you and let my people go. This is why God added a third sign, which is actually one of the plagues. What is that? Water shall become like blood. So three signs, three wonders that God told uh, Moses about so that people will believe indeed he was sent By God. So he has all his doubts answered. God performed all these miracles, right? And so you would think Moses would cooperate, don't you? Right? I mean, if you were in Moses' shoes and you saw all of those miracles, I believe, Lord. I believe, Yahuwah God. Please send me. But what happened? Exodus 4.10. And Musha said to Yahuwah, Yahuwah, I'm not a man of words, neither before nor neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Here's Moses. God showed him signs and wonders, and so what did he do next? Was he on board? No. He made up an excuse. What is his excuse? I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. You know why we believe that's an excuse? <laughs> Let's go to the next slide. Fear causes us to, 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 to doubt, and fear causes us to make excuses. When Moses said to Yahuwah that uh, I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue, I think he's just making an excuse. Why? In the book of Acts 7, verse 22, this is what Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, said about Moses. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and He was. Powerful in both speech and action. So he was just making an excuse. (laughs) Why? Because he was afraid. See, that's what fear does. Fear causes people to doubt. Fear causes you to come up with many excuses so that you don't have to do what God wants you to do. So God knows this. And God is patient. That's one thing we probably will sense in our study of the history of God's dealing with his people. He is patient, understanding, and compassionate, right? So here's Moses making an excuse. So what does God do with him? Book of Exodus 4, 11 to 12. And Yahuwah said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahuwah? And now go and I shall be with your mouth and teach you what to do. Say, and so what was God's response to Moses? Because he was making excuses. He said, Don't you know who I am? I'm God. <laughs> I created all things. I can you know I'm the one who makes dumb or deaf or seeing or blind. I made your mouth. And what was his confirmation? What was his promise to Musha? He said, I shall be with your mouth. Remember. What's important about being used by God is not the instrument. In reality, God can use anyone he wants, right? Because what matters is not the man. What matters is not the instrument. What matters is the one using the instrument. Who is that? God. It doesn't matter who the instrument is. He could be a child. He could even be a donkey, right? It doesn't matter. What matters is our almighty God. God and so God addresses his excuse. You would think that Moses would be on board now, right? You would think. Next slide, Exodus 4:13. But he said, Yahuwah, please send by the hand of him who sh- whom you should send. What he's saying to Yahuwah is, please send someone else. <laughs> Can you imagine that? That's because of his fear. Next slide, please. The fear caused him to doubt. The fear caused him to make excuses. And the fear caused him to reject the will of God. Yahuwah, send someone else. That's what fear does. This is why fear is the enemy. Especially today when God has something for us to do. Like proclaiming the name of God. You think uh, it's easy to do that? Did we know we're going to get persecuted and hated when we do that? Yes. But why did we choose to do it anyways? Because it's the will of our Father. It's what God wants us to do. Either we're going to follow the will of God, or we will let fear defeat us. You know what um, God calls people who let fear defeat them? Who because of fear, they don't do the will of God anymore? What do you call people like that? Huh? Cowards, Cowards. right? You know, a person can feel fear and still do what God wants him to do. But if a person, because of fear, turns back, turns away from the will of God, the Bible calls that a coward. What does the Bible say about cowards? Revelation 21, verse 8. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Not a good future, is it? You notice the top two candidates for the lake of fire. What are the credentials? Number one, cowards. Number two, unbelievers. You know what God is telling us? The two things he dislikes the most among his people is one who's a coward and one who's unbelieving. And the two are connected. Because if you do not believe, you're going to be a coward. But if you believe, you have faith, you're going to overcome your fear. I'm not saying you're not going to feel fear. You're going to feel fear. But because of your faith in God, you will do what God wants you to do, despite the fear that you will fear, feel in your life. This is why when God commissioned the last messenger, what was his assurance to him? Let's read the book of Isaiah, 41, 9 to 10. This is God's commissioning of his last messenger. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In many ways, the sugo and Moses had a lot in common, right? Look at Moses. He was by himself. He had to face Egypt, a super powerful country. The sugo was by himself. He's facing mountains protestantism and catholicism deeply ingrained in the philippine archipelago it was just a worm that's what he was likened to and so what did god say to him fear not because it would be natural for him to be afraid and if the sugo let fear defeat him he would have doubted he would have made excuses and he would have rejected the will And the assignment that God had for him. But because he held on to the promise. What is that promise? Fear not. And what is the basis for overcoming the fear? God says, for I am with you. And that promise of God is also applicable for us today. It's doesn't matter what God wants us to do. He will be with us. Fear not, for I am with you. That's all we need. Because if God is with us, who can be against us? And so we need to overcome fear. Next slide. Because fear causes doubt, makes excuses, rejects the will of God. Just like Moses, he wanted, to send, he wanted God to send someone else. And so how did God feel about that? Next slide. Exodus 4, 14 and 17. And the displeasure of Yahuwah burned against Musha. And he said, is not Aharon, the Levite the your brother? This is not Lou White, okay? <laughs> no, that's not Lou White. This is Levite, your brother. I know that he speaks well, and see, he is also coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he shall be glad in his heart. And you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I am with your mouth and with his mouth, and I shall teach you what to do. And he shall speak for you to the people, and it shall be that he shall be a mouth for you, and you shall be as Allahim for him. And take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. You know, I believe Moses was a better speaker than Aaron. God was just basically punishing him. Okay, you're making an excuse? You're not going to speak for me then, to the people. Aaron will. But I will speak to you concerning what you're going to tell Aaron to tell the people. And so in essence, it's still God to Moses. But you notice later on, it was Moses speaking for himself, right? Because that was God's intent in the first place. He was just addressing the excuses given by who? Moses. And even when he rejected the will of God and said to God, just send someone else. Although he burned against Musha, he was angry. You can see the compassion of the father, right? (laughs) You can see the compassion of the father, and he worked with Musha nonetheless. And so he's gonna send him to uh, not only the elders, but also to Pharaoh. what else did the uh, what did Moses do after? He was given this assignment. Exodus 4, verse 18. Then Musha went and returned to Yithro, his father-in-law, that's Jethro, and said to him, please please let me go and return to my brothers who are in Mitzrim. What's Mitzrim? Egypt. To see whether they are still alive. And Yithro said to Musha, go in peace. So Moses said, okay, I'm going to go now. And so he agrees with God, I'm going to go to Mitzrim. I'm going to go to Egypt just as you told me to. But he first told out of respect for his father-in-law Jethro, because he was handling the flocks, right? He told Jethro, I'm going to go. Is it okay? And he says, go in peace. That's what Jethro told him. And what did God assure Moses as he was going to go back to Egypt? Exodus 419 20. And Yahuwah said to Musha in Median, go return to Mitzrayim, go back to Egypt. For all the men are dead who sought your life. Remember, Moses ran away from Egypt because Pharaoh wanted him dead, right? And so by this time, the Pharaoh was no longer there. The people who wanted him dead was no longer there. So Musha took his Asha. What's that? Asha. Asawa. Asha, Asawa. And his sons and set them on a donkey. And he returned to the land of Mitrim in Egypt. And Musha took the rod of Elohim in his hand. So he was in Egypt. He went there with his family, right? with his wife and children. And when he was there, what did God say to Musha? Exodus 4, verse 21. And Yahuwah said to Musha, as you go back to Mitzrim. see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, Aspara, Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I am going to harden his heart so that he does not let the people go. I want you to do- ponder on that statement god is telling moses okay i want you to show all the signs to pharaoh but i'm going to harden his heart so that he will not let the people go (laughs) what do you think about god there is that fair you might be saying to yourself that's not fair where's the free will right is that what you're thinking you're probably afraid to confess that's what you're thinking right but a lot of people, probably that's what that's what's in their mind. Why does the Bible say God's going to harden his heart? Doesn't that mean he's condemned Pharaoh even without giving him a chance? Not giving him the opportunity to exercise his free will? Well, in actuality, when God said, I am going to harden his heart, you know what he said there? You know what that is? It's a prophecy. A prophecy. It's something that will happen. Well, what, when will this prophecy be fulfilled? Remember the story, because you all watched the movie, right? What did God send to Egypt to convince the Pharaoh to let his people go? How many plagues? Ten plagues. Next slide. The plagues of did. First one, blood. Number two, frogs. Number three, gnats. Number four, flies. Number five, livestock. Six, boil. Seven, hail. Eight, locusts. Nine, darkness. And ten, death of the firstborn. Remember that? The 10 plagues. And so God says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. And so when was that prophecy fulfilled? When the first plague was released. When the water turned into blood, the Nile River. What happened? Exodus seven twenty to 22, right? So the, the water turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank. And at the last part, it says, and the heart... Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as Yahuwah had said. Did God harden his heart? No. The Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Okay. What's the next plague? Next slide, please. Frogs. Right? So when the frogs came, what happened? Next slide. Exodus 8:13 and 15. For the frogs died of out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. What does it say? He hardened his heart and did not listen to them so the pharaoh hardened his own heart okay next slide please what's the next plague the gnats okay so what happened when the gnats came exodus 8 18 to 19 there were gnats on man and beast alike the magicians could do nothing about it but the heart of pharaoh was hardened he did not listen to them again he hardened his own heart right and then uh, what's the next uh, plague after that? Number four, flies. 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 What happened when the flies came? Next slide, Exodus 8, 30, 32. The swarm of flies came. What does it say? Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time too and did not let the people go. You see a pattern? Pharaoh was hardening his own <coughs> heart. Next slide. Livestock is next, right? So when the livestock were killed, what happened? All the livestock of Mitzrayim or Egypt died, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. Next slide. Let's go to boils. This is plague number six. What happened after plague number six? Let's go to Exodus 9, 11, 12. Magicians were unable to stand before Musha because of the boils. For the boils were on the magicians and on Mitzrayim. But, this time is different. What does it say? But, Yahuwah hardened the heart. Of Pharaoh first five plagues Pharaoh hardened his own heart he was stubborn God said enough is enough and he hardened now the heart of Pharaoh that's when the prophecy was fulfilled when God said to Moses to Musha, I will harden the heart of Pharaoh it was after the sixth plague you get it this is why you can't blame God God simply said enough is enough because he kept hardening his own heart. God said, that's it. I'm going to harden your heart now. This is why this should be a lesson for us all. God is patient, yes, but there's a limit to his. Did you get that? Right? This is why we shouldn't harden our heart. Do you know how you can harden your heart? How does a person today, in our time, harden his heart? Let's read the book of Matthew. 13, 14, and 15, Lord Yahushua is uh, speaking. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not. Understand? Hmm. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. They harden their hearts. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, heart, with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Is that applicable today? Yeah? <laughs> I mean, I think it's very applicable today. There are people who reject the message of God simply because they're not willing to look with their eyes, they're not willing to hear with their, with their ears, and then they're not willing to understand with their hearts. And so if they keep rejecting the truth of God, if they keep rejecting the will of God, the message of God, what will God do? I'm going to say enough is enough, God says, and I'm going to harden their hearts. What is the equivalent of that? Let's read the book of Thessalonians 2, 9 to 12. The wicked one will come with the power of Satan and perform all kinds of false miracles and wonders and use every kind of wicked deceit and those who will perish. They will perish because They did not welcome and love the truth so as to be saved. And so God sends the power of error to work in them so that they believe what is false. The result is that all who have not believed the truth but have taken pleasure in sin will be condemned. What is the equivalent of God hardening one's heart? It's giving them over to the power of error. Who are those given over to the power of error so they end up believing what is false? They are those who reject the truth. They don't welcome and love the truth. You see, if you love the truth, you will investigate the truth. You don't just rely on social media. You look at the Bible because that's the container of truth, right? You look at scripture, the passages of the Bible. This is why Brother Felix Panalo often said, do not believe in me. Believe in the Bible. Because the Bible contains the truth. If you love the truth, you study the Bible. All Scripture is relevant for each and every one of us, and so we don't want God to harden our hearts. Next slide. This is what God did, right, with the Pharaoh in this after the sixth uh, plague. And so, what does what did God say for him to tell Pharaoh? Uh, Exodus four twenty two to twenty three, and you shall say to Pharaoh, to Pharaoh. God said Yahuwah. Isharal is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go to serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, see, I am killing your son, your firstborn. And that's a prophecy too, because it's going to take all the way to the 10th plague, right? God hardened his heart all the way to the 10th plague, and he, let, he concluded his life miserably. We don't want that. You see, when you reject the will of God, it's not good for you in the present. It's not going to be good for you in the future. And so what did God say uh, to Aaron? Exodus 4, 27, 28. And Yahuwah said to Aaron, Go to meet Musha in the wilderness. And he went and met him on the mount of Elohim and kissed him. Musha then told Aaron all the words of Yahuwah who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. So they were having a briefing. Before they go to meet the elders, they had a briefing, right? This is what Yahuwah said. These are the signs we're going to use. We have a plan we have a strategy it came from God and so they met they conferred they went to speak with the elders what happened was it successful Exodus 4:29, 31 and Musha went with Aaron and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. and Aaron spoke all the words which Yahoo had spoken to Moses to Mo Mosh- to Musha then he did the signs before the eyes of the people that was the clincher right and the people believed and they heard that Yahuwah had visited the children of Yeshua and that he had looked on their affliction and they bowed their heads and did obeisance. And so when Moses and Aaron spoke with the elders of Israel, did they believe? Yes. Mission accomplished so far. But that was the easy part. They convinced the elders of Israel. Now they have to convince who? Pharaoh, that's the hard part. But at least they got the first job done. They convinced uh, Israel. But you know, before Moses spoke to the elders of Israel, did you know God almost killed him? You know, that? even before he we went to speak with the elders, God actually almost killed Moses. Why? Let's find out the book of Exodus 4:24-26. And it came to be on the way in the lodging place that Yahuwah met him and sought to kill him. Holy. Why? And Tephora took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and threw it threw it at Musha's feet and said, You are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision circumcision so here's moses he was about to go to to egypt to set the people of god free and god wanted to kill him (laughs) he was gonna kill him but god didn't kill him he set him free why because sephora finally i think reluctantly agreed to cut the foreskin of his of her the son circumcision right cut off the foreskin and because of that, God let him go. <coughs> circumcision. <laughs> because Moses did not circumcise his son, God was upset. Why? Why was God upset? What is the circumcision all about? Well, book of Genesis 17, 13, to 14. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. 14, and the uncircumcised male child who was not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant it's a covenant that god made with his people in the old, in the old testament the, the male child has to be circumcised moses did not do that god was very upset he was about to kill him but eventually god relented and the son was circumcised do you know what this tells us what does this tell us about god's people even the leaders of his people What do you see from that? Uh, (laughs) Next slide, please. Even the greatest messengers of God, with the exception of Yahushua HaMashiach, are prone to error and make mistakes. They're human too, right? Moses spoke face-to-face with God, but he made mistakes, right? This is why we, too, will make mistakes. This is why we should never say, oh, the executive minister will never be able to make a mistake. You know, sometimes we get all upset when we say, oh, the executive minister makes a mistake. We get all upset, right? No, no, no. He was appointed by God. Yes, so was Moses. But he makes mistakes. Doesn't he make mistakes? This is why we should never accept this kind of... uh, Instruction, what is that? Next slide. Obey never. (laughs) This does not apply to anyone here on earth. It only applies to two. Who are they? God and his son, Yahuwah and Yahusha. They're the only ones for whom this is applicable to. Obey and never complain. God tells us, we obey, we don't complain. Yahusha tells us, we obey, we don't complain. Anyone here on earth? We gotta test it. We gotta test it. Is it in accordance with the will of the Father? If it is, amen. If not, then I cannot do that. This is why we should never think that just because one has been appointed by God, that they are not, they're not capable of making mistakes. And that was not the only mistake that Moses made. You know what else was the mistake of Moses? Numbers 20 verse 11. Then Musha, Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And much water came out, and the assembly and their livestock drank. And Yahuwah spoke to Musha and to Aaron, because you did not believe me, you did not trust me, to set me apart in the eyes of the children of Yeshua. Therefore you, did, you do not bring this assembly into the land, which I have given them. What else was the mistake of Moses? He struck the rock with his rod twice to get water out of it when the instruction was simply to speak to the rock because he did not obey. God said to Moses, you will not lead the people of Israel into the promised land. That's pretty tough, right? You might be saying to yourself, what's the big deal with hitting the rock? You see that rock that brings water? It's actually a type. Moses ruined the type. (laughs) Yeah, he ruined the type. What is that type all about? What was God trying to show the people of Israel? Let's read the book of John seven thirty seven thirty eight. 38. And on the last yom, the great yom of the festival, yom means day, Yahushua stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and let him who believes in me drink. As the scripture said, out of his innermost shall flow rivers of living water. And so that was a type of Christ. Moses ruined it. Because the one who is to hit with a rod, the one who is to strike Yahusha is not Moses. It's supposed to be God. The people of Israel, we are to ask. This is why he said, speak to the rock. Don't hit it with your staff. Speak to the rock. Because as people of Israel, we are to speak. We are to pray. We are to go to Yahusha to give us that living water. You see it? And so Musha kind of messed up what God was trying to portray when he gave the command to simply speak to the rock. You see, in the Old Testament, there's full, full of many types, many allusions to the coming of the Messiah. God is telling a story to his people. He's pointing them forward to the coming of the Messiah, the Savior, the one who will liberate and set them. Free. We need to understand it about the Old Testament. Look for that, because it's all over the Old Testament. This is why God was so upset, right? Well, why was he so upset about the circumcision? Next slide. Exodus 4, 24, 26, right? If you notice, in verse 26, he said, he let him go. Then she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Bridegroom of blood for some reason. To Tshipporah, remember he was not Hebrew, right? To Chephora, this covenant that God made with Israel, the circumcision, which brings out the shedding of blood, does that set, send a signal to you? Shedding of blood? Yeah? What is God trying to show? Yeah, The death of Yahusha, the covenant. The death of Yahusha by means of shedding of blood. God was trying to communicate. That's why it's a covenant, Right? But not only that, it's also called the bridegroom of blood. Why did Shephora call it that? Well, let's go to, a, I, we found this uh, excerpt from a book called Ancient Israel, written by Roland DeVoe. Originally, and as a general rule, circumcision, circumcision seems to have been an initiation right before marriage. This is certainly true of many African tribes which practice it today, very probably true of ancient Egypt where it was performed at the age of puberty. We may add that the Hebrew word for bridegroom is derived from the root batan, which means in Arabic to circumcise. And so circumcision as a symbol also is a preparation for a marriage. It's like God is telling them, okay, this covenant, this circumcision that involves the, the, the cutting of flesh, the shedding of blood, it points to who? Yahusha. His death, which will bring us to him. And to our Father. This is why the church, the people of God in the last days, they're likened to a bride of who? Yahusha. The bride of Yahusha. See the symbolism there? How about after the death of Yahusha? How can we, how can we still be circumcised? Right? Let's read the book of Colossians 2, 11 and 12. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Thank goodness for that. Right, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Do you see the signs that God is showing? Circumcision was pointing to the future when Christ would die. Baptism... The site of baptism, the work of baptism, is pointing to the past after Christ had died. Because in our baptism, we're going to be buried together with who? Yahusha. It all points to where? The death of Yahusha. Do you see that? So before the death of Yahusha, all the events, all the signs was pointing to that future, the death of Yahusha. And after the death, all the events, all the diff- different commands was pointing back to the death of This is why we need to be baptized. We need to be baptized. We need to continue the work of baptism. God was upset because Moses did not circumcise his son. And so we should baptize the people of God. This is to go back to what to acknowledge what Yahusha had done. Since when did God plan this? Ephesians 1, 4 down to 7 even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be kadesh and blameless before him in love, having previously established us to adoption as sons through Yahusha Machiach himself, according to the good pleasure of his desire to the praise of the esteem of his favor, with which he favored us in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of offenses according to the riches of his favor." And so even before the universe was created, what was the plan of Yahuwah? That his son, Yahusha, HaMashiach, would die on the cross so that by means of his shed blood, we would be adopted sons and daughters. It all points to the death of Yahusha, Right? The past points to the future. The future points back to the past. And to God, it's all, it's all present to him because he's outside time and space. This is why it's important to study and know all these different things God has in his mind to tell us all about the importance of the work of his redemption, okay? All right, that's why it's called signs, the topic of our Bible study today. So that concludes that, uh, but now we go to our next slide. We go to our mailbox. Is that okay? What time is it? Okay. We have a few minutes. We don't want to spend too much of your time. Let's go to our mailbox. First question is, this one's been going around. How many have received this one? From Lapid Judaism, right? But the particular use of which version of the four-letter name of God they chose uh, to, to use is even more concerning and shows, once again, he doesn't know a lick of Hebrew. He calls God Yahuwah in this Bible, he was referring to Sefer, I guess, the Sefer translation. Now, the word hua in Hebrew means destruction. What does he say? Mischief, trickery, and ruin, according to Hebrew dictionaries. So we are combining the two-letter name used in Isaiah, ya, with the word hua. Thus, he is saying God is full of mischief, trickery, and ruin. This is beyond blasphemy. Okay. So what he's saying is that Yahuwah, to use that name for God, is blasphemy because it is combined, it is formed by two Hebrew words, Hebrew Yah, which means God, and Huah, he says, is a Hebrew word, which means destruction, mischief, trickery, and ruin. And so when you combine the two, it's like saying God is a God of, full of mischief, trickery, and ruin. Now, first of all, I mean, those who post this website, those who directed us to this website, they accused us of saying that Yahuwah is not a Hebrew word. It's not composed of Hebrew. It doesn't have a meaning in Hebrew. Now they're telling us it does. <laughs> right? So, which is it? Does it have a meaning in Hebrew? Does it not have a meaning in Hebrew? And so let's go ahead and take a look at this uh, analysis from lapidjudaism.com. He says that the word Hua is a Hebrew word. Is that true? The word Hua, is that a Hebrew word? Next slide. Hua is not a Hebrew word, and it does not mean destruction, mischief, trickery, and ruin. That's why it's misleading. It's deceptive. There is no huwa in the Hebrew dictionary. There's no huwa in the Bible. How do we know this? Because we look at the Strong's Dictionary. It's a concordance of Hebrew words categorized by different numbers, and we look at it to see what it means when they analyze it using the King James Bible. And so Hua is not a word. What word means destruction, mischief, trickery, and ruin? Next slide. Hovah. Not huah. Hovah. That's why he should be directing his argument to those who believe it's yehovah. Right? Or jehovah. What else is another word that means destruction, uh, mischief, ruin, Next slide, please. Hava. Hava. Okay, what does that mean? It means desire, uh, engulfing, ruin, destruction, calamity. Okay, so these two Hebrew words, Hava and Hova, it means calamity, mischief, ruin. But there's no word that's called hu This is why you cannot apply that to ya, who. Wa. to apply that to the name Yahuwah would be deceptive because huwa is not a Hebrew word, and so Yahuwah is formed with three Hebrew words. The root words are next slide: Hayah, who, and Hawa. Hayah means I am. Who means who. Hawa means I am. So Yahuwah, that is his name. This is why. The word Yahuwah does in fact have a Hebrew meaning. It means I am who I am, but the fact that they use Hawa for the last one, it means I am who breathes into existence all things. This is why it's like what Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 says about the name of God. I am he who is, who was, and who will be, and the Alpha and the Omega. Okay, let's go to the next slide. What else does he say? Uh, This is beyond blasphemy. And the origin of this name actually comes from a 1970s hippie sex cult known as The Source. Hindu mystics told James Baker, later Father Yod, then later Yehoah, that the four-letter name of God is pronounced Yahuwah. So this is bad. Theology was made popular by this sex cult leader and was used in, in their numerous records they put out and caught the attention of a guy named Lou White in his headshot. Okay, so according to this website, which is really outrageous, he's saying that Yahuwah is an invention really of this man by the name of James Baker, that he invented Yahuwah in the 1970s. Who is this James Baker? He's a Hindu mystic who changed his name and became known as Father Yod, or Yahowah. Well, this is who he looks, what he looks like. Next slide. He does look a bit odd. <laughs> right. That's him wearing his uh, wizard outfit. So, okay, that's him. And next slide, please. According to his autobiography, by 1974, Father Yod, which is what he was known, had declared himself God. Change his name to Yahuwah. And the spirit of seventy-six, this original group, was rechristened Yah-ho-wah thirteen. Okay, so there there is a strange character in nineteen seventy-four who declared himself God, and because he declared himself God, he took on the name of God Yah-ho-wah, for himself. And so now uh, Lapid Judaism and whoever is endorsing the website, they're saying that uh, Father Yud. <laughs> that he invented the name Yehoah. No, he just used the name Yehoah for himself. Is that something new? No, it happens all the time. You know this guy? Next slide. You know what he calls? Do you know what he calls himself? He calls himself Jesus Christ. And he has followers. Now, because he calls himself Jesus Christ, And he looks like that. Does it mean that the name Jesus Christ, as believed by many Christians today, should no longer use the name Jesus Christ because of him? No, it doesn't make any sense. Just because one uses the name for himself, it doesn't discredit the name, right? But what's really disturbing is the last part. Next slide. He's saying that Lou White, poor Lou White, he has nothing to do with James Baker. They never met they're saying that they met in some place that he's a fan of the source no that's just tabloid fodder okay blue white never had had nothing to do with him when he constructed his uh, translation it's not because of him that's just gossip there's no backing to that story It's a copy-paste story that has no merit and no credibility. And so there are people now who, because of this, they're claiming, next slide, your God, Yahuwah, was created by Lou White. Yes or no? No! That's crazy. Yahuwah was not created by Lou White. And they're even saying, your God was only created in 2013. Yahuwah was invented in 2013. But wait a minute, they just cited... What's his name? James Baker, back in 1974. Was it 1974? 76? That he invented the name Yahuwah. So which is it? Right? Truth is, Yahuwah, the name Yahuwah was being discussed among the the the, uh, the scholars of the Bible and Hebrew long ago. What's the proof? Next slide. Here's this book, which is a famous book, by the way, The Mysterious Name of YHWH, written by Dr. Max Risel. He's a a Dutch scholar, linguist, philosopher, and according to many scholars, the one book which is the most complete source of a study of the name YHWH, it's that book. That's the book to get if you want to know about YHWH. It was published 1957. You know what he said? The name of God was in 1957. Next slide. He called it Yahuwah, 1957, not 2013, 1957. But it was being discussed even before that. This is why the, next slide please, the Encyclopedia Britannica mentioned Yahuwah even in the night before that 19th century. It was being discussed. What else? Next slide please. The Kingdom Interlinear Translation, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they have been in. Before they were studying Jehovah, now they believe it is Yahuwah, to be the more accurate name or pronunciation of the name Yahuwah. And so to make that claim, to use that source and to spread it as though it's gospel, we got to be careful with that. We have to test the sources. Brethren, when we we believe Yahuwah is the name of God, not because of the scholars, like what we told you before, Not because of uh, Rise. rise. I didn't even mention his name to you before. Have I? Why do we believe? Why do we believe? That the name of God is Jehovah. Number one, because of the alphabet. Remember, the Hebrew alphabet. And in the Hebrew alphabet, there are consonants that can also act as vowels. What are they? All the Hebrew characters of the name of God. Can act as a consonant and as a vowel. And in the Paleo-Hebrew alphabet, there are three vowels. What are they? Ah. What else? The E, the I, and the Ooh. That's it. This is why when you look at the Paleo-Hebrew letters and you add the alphabet and the pronunciation of the consonants and the and the, the verbs, you get Yahuwah. Number two, the name. Of god is in the name of his people yahoo you can't get any clearer than that that's why it's yahoo what not yehovah not he not jehovah not yahweh but yahoo wah and third Exodus 315. When scholars use Exodus 3:15, they look at the I am and say that's the name of God, and they look at different conjugations of the verb. No, that's not his name. It's a description of his name. His name is the Tetragrammaton. And when you look at how it's to be pronounced, it matches the definition in Exodus 3, verse 15. That's why we believe it's Yahuwah. If scholars agree to that, so be it. But that's not, our, that's not the basis for our faith. Our faith resides in what? The Holy Bible. Okay? Go to the next slide. Ang lamsa version ay ginamit natin dahil sa naroon ng iglesia ni Kristo sa ibang versions kasi ay iglesia ng Dios o iglesia ng Panginoon ang nakalagay. Pero, wala tayong nalalabag dahil naroon din sa talata na binili ng kanyang dugo si Kristo ang Panginoon na may dugo hindi ang Dios. Conclusion, Samantalang ang Yahweh ay man pangalan ng Diyos. Sa pagka tangdios ay walang pangalan opisyal. Walang opisyal na pangalan pinahayag. Is that true? <laughs> so according to this person, the God has no official name. Is that true? He has many titles, right? El El Shaddai, El Olam, Lord, Father, he has many titles, but he has an official name. What is it? Next slide, please. Exodus 3, verse 15. What does he say? This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Does that make it an official name? I think so. It's your memorial name. What does that mean? God wants us to know it. God wants us to use it. God wants us to call on it. Why? So that we can remember the name. It honors God when we mention his name. When somebody mentions your name in a good light, does it honor you? Yeah. This is why when people chant Kobe, 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 does it honor the the, the family of Kobe Bryant? It depends. If they chant it in a good light, Kobe, you're the best. You're the best ever basketball player. Right? And so for you to glorify the name, you have to mention the name and you also have to mention something good about the name. You get it? You cannot glorify a name unless you have both. You cannot say, oh, he's the best basketball player in the world. He was unstoppable. He was clutch. What's his name? Oh, he cannot mention the name. Does he get the glory? No. For you to glorify the name, you gotta mention the name and then show what you are pointing as his attribute that deserves recognition. So the name will be glorified. You cannot glorify the name without mentioning the name. You gotta show it. Right? Does that make sense? Yes. What's his official name? Yahuwah. Next slide, please. So na base silang, so dictionary, and so common sense of pronunciation. And using a Bible translation made by someone inspired by a hippie cult guy—that's not true at all. See, <laughs> they believe that's true now, <laughs> right? But the words translated by those authors, like Mofat, were not in the same category as the Tetragrammaton. They were not prohibited to be invoked before. <laughs> yung sinasabi ng reference nila about Jehovah, ang katulad din ang sinasabi ng sinasabi article about Yahuwah. In other words, parehong questionable. At hindi naman coincidence lang na Lou White at James Baker ay nag ng landas and voila the name Yahuwah. Do you see the deception there? Right? Do you see the misinformation that people are believing? James Baker and Lou White met and voila, they created the name Yahuwah. That is not true! Long before they were born, the name Yahuwah was already being studied by scholars of the Holy Bible. Right? But it says here, what really, really need to get into is the part where it says they were not prohibited to invoke before as though the bible tells us that we cannot use or invoke the name of the father here's my challenge give me one verse in the holy bible where god tells us we should not use the name of god then we will stop using the name of god we will one verse but you will not find that verse. Because if you look at the Bible, everywhere you look, what does it say? Glorify, publish, call on thee, proclaim thee, preach thee, use the name, worship the name. So we need to know the name. It doesn't mention anywhere in the Bible that you are not to use the name. Where does it? Where did that prohibition come from? Next slide. From Judaism 101 from uh, JewFact.org. The name in ancient times, in fact, the Mishnah, recommends using God's name as a routine greeting to a fellow Jew. Berahot 9.5, however, by the time of the Talmud, Talmud, it was the custom to use substitute names for God. Some rabbis asserted that a person who pronounces YHVH according to its letters, instead of using a substitute, has no place in the world to come and should be put to death. Instead of pronouncing the four-letter name, we usually substitute the name Adonai or simply say Hashem. And so the Jews, from their book, the Talmud, the Talmud, they say you cannot pronounce the name of God anymore because if you do, guess what? You're not going to receive salvation. And many Christians today believe it, including members of the INC, including many ministers of the INC, they believe The Talmud. But we're talking, what we need to talk about is the Bible, not the Talmud, not the Talmud. The Bible, what does the Bible say? In the bottom, nothing in the Torah. What's the Torah? Yeah, the Bible. Nothing in the Torah prohibits a person from pronouncing the name of God. Indeed, it is evident from Scripture that God's name was pronounced routinely. Many common Hebrew names contain Yah or Yahoo, part of God's four-letter name. The name was pronounced as part of daily services in the temple. Is there a prohibition in the Bible that forbid us to mention or invoking the name of God? No. It came from the Talmud. It came from the Jewish teachings. (coughs) It did not not come from the Holy Bible. But there are those who say, oh, there is a prohibition in the Bible. They say there's a prohibition in the Bible that says you cannot use the name of the Father. You cannot invoke his name. They will cite Jeremiah 44. 26 with confidence, right? We discussed Jer- Jeremiah 44 26 last week, but this is what they say regarding Jeremiah 44 26, on God's prohibition to invoke his sacred name YHWH, John Dizon, that would be me. <laughs> Are you Judean? I did ask that question, right? Are you Judean? Okay, <laughs> no, his question is philosophical, he wants to trap the audience. By answering yes or no to evade the main issue, which? The Judeans, the children of God, are prohibited to invoke his sacred name. The line of reasoning should be, if the Judeans, who are children of God, are prohibited, what more those who are not children of God? Will they be given the right or permission to invoke his sacred name, YHWH? Our biblical stand is this, biblical stand. (laughs) Jesus Christ is a Judean. He is the Lion of Judah. We are of Christ and of God. Therefore, we are prohibited to invoke the sacred name. John Bison and his sympathizers answered no to his question, so they are not Judeans. Who gave them the right to invoke God's sacred name, YHWH? Fair question. And so they say, okay, God said that the the Judeans are not to invoke my name, right? In Jeremiah 44, 26. Question is, uh, which was our point last week, this was a specific judgment, a specific punishment of God. For who? The Judeans. But which Judeans? The Bible specifies. This is why when you read, uh, I'm just going to offer this addition to all of you. When you read the Bible, brethren, Read the whole context. Read the whole, th- read the whole thing. Read the whole chapter. And so let's go ahead. To whom did God address his message to? When he said the Judeans are not to invoke my name. Who was he speaking to? Let's read Jeremiah 44, 1 to 3. This is the message Jeremiah received concerning the Judeans living in northern Egypt in the cities of Migdol. Tafanis and Memphis and in Southern Egypt as well. Let's pause it for a while. Specific? This is why I ask you, are you Judeans living in Egypt? What is your answer? No! Why did we add Egypt? Because this message was specifically for the Judeans who were in Egypt. You see, when the captivity took place, there were Judeans who fled to Egypt. And God's message is in Jeremiah 44. And so the Judeans here is they're different from the Judeans in Babylon. You get it? That's why Judeans in Egypt. Okay, let's, let's, let's keep going. Verse 2. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. You saw the calamity I brought on Jerusalem and all the towns of Judah. They now lie deserted and in ruins. That's why they were captive in Babylon. They provoked my anger with all their wickedness. They burn incense and worship other gods gods that neither they nor you nor any of your ancestors had ever known and so god is telling these judeans in egypt okay in egypt that uh, what happened to the the judeans in judah when they were captive in babylon and destroyed what happened to you why what happened to the judeans in judah they went to uh to uh, babylon because of their idolatry not because of the sabbath but they're idolatry. It doesn't mention Sabbath there. Okay? And so I just want to point that out. Point that out. And so God is telling me, if, you, if you're not going to heed my warning, what happened to the Judeans in Judah will happen to, to you. The Judeans in Egypt. And so what did God say? Jeremiah 44, 4 down to 6. Again and again, I sent my servants, the prophets, to plead with them. Don't do these horrible things that I hate so much, but my people would not listen or turned back from their wicked ways. They kept on burning incense to these gods. And so my fury boiled over and fell like fire on the towns of Judah and into the streets of Jerusalem. And they are still a desolate ruin today. This is why they were held captives. God sent them prophet after prophet, servant after servant, but they still committed their idolatry. Idolatry. And so God said, enough is enough. And they were defeated. And up to this very day, God says they're in desolate ruin. What else? Jeremiah 44, 11 to 14. Therefore, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. I am determined to destroy every one of you. So God is telling the Judeans there in Egypt, okay, just like I destroyed the ones in Jerusalem, Judah, I'm looking at you now, (laughs) the Egyptians. Okay, I will take this remnant of Judah, those who were determined to come here and live in Egypt, and I will consume them. They will fall here in Egypt, killed by war and famine. All will die from the least to the greatest. They will be an object of damnation, horror, cursing, and mockery. I will punish them in Egypt, just as I punished them in Jerusalem by war, famine, and disease. Of the remnant who fled to Egypt, hoping someday to return to Judah, there will be no survivors. Even though they long to return home, only a handful will do so. So what was God decree? Well, they're going to be destroyed. But when God decreed this, what did the Judeans there in in Egypt do? What do they say? 44, 15, 18. And all the women present and all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to idols, a great crowd of all the Judeans living in northern Egypt and southern Egypt answered, Jeremiah, we will not listen to your message from Yahuwah. We will do whatever we want. We will burn incense and pour out liquid offerings to the Queen of Heaven. Just as much as we like. In Jerusalem, in Judah, they were worshiping who? Baal. Here, they're worshiping who? The Queen of Heaven. And our ancestors and our kings and officials have always done in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For in those days, we had plenty to eat and we were well off and had no troubles. But ever since, we quit burning incense to the Queen of Heaven and stopped worshiping her with liquid offerings. We have been in great trouble and have been dying from war and famine. And so they said, we will not listen to your message, Yahuwah. Because since we stopped worshiping this queen of heaven, it's been misery, one problem after the other. And so what did they decide to do? We're going to offer to the queen of heaven. And so what did God say? Jeremiah 44, 24, 25. Then Jeremiah said to them all, including the women, listen to this message from Yahuwah. All your citizens of Judah who live in Egypt, this is what the Lord of the heavens' armies, the God of Israel, says: You and your wives have said, "We will keep our promises to burn incense and pour out liquid offerings to the Queen of Heaven," and you have proved by your actions that you meant it. So go ahead, go ahead, carry out your promises and vows to her. So God says, "Go ahead, do what you want." God has given him over to what? To error. God now has hardened their hearts. God said enough is enough, and God has given judgment. God has decreed his judgment. What is that decree of judgment? 26. Do you see it? Verse 26, but listen to this message from the Lord, all you Judeans now living in. Is that us? Is that us? No, it's not us. Who is it applied to? The Judeans living in. When? In the 6th century B.C., not us, right? So I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, says Yahuwah, that my name will no longer be spoken by any of the days in the land of Egypt. None of you may invoke my name or use this oath as surely as the sovereign Yahuwah lives. Isn't it clear? And so according to Yahuwah, our God, This prohibition to invoke, first of all, it's not permanent. It doesn't mean as long as Yahuwah lives, you cannot use my name. No, that's not what it says. It says you cannot use this oath as surely as the sovereign Yahuwah lives. There's a big difference between the two. I hope hope you get that. You get that? Plus, it's specific people. Who are they? The Judeans in Not only did God prohibit the use of his name, what else did he do? Genesis, uh, Jeremiah 4, 20, 44, 27 to 30, for I will watch over you to bring you disaster and not good. This is why I told you it's punishment, it's judgment. Everyone from Judah who is now living in Egypt will suffer war and famine until all you are dead. Only a small number will escape death and return to Judah from Egypt. Then all those who came to Egypt will find out whose word but true, mine's or theirs. And this is the proof I give you, says Yahuwah that all I have threatened will happen to you, and I will punish you here. This is what Jehovah says. I will turn Pharaoh, Hophra, king of Egypt, over to his enemies who want to kill him, just as I turned king Zedekiah of Judah over to king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And so God says, not only can you not use my name, God says, I'm going to destroy you. And as proof you'll be destroyed, what did he say? I'm going to turn Pharaoh because remember, where they're living again? Egypt. Egypt. In Egypt, there's a king. What's his name? Pharaoh Pharaoh Hopfra. What did God say about him? He said, I will turn Pharaoh Hopfra, king of Egypt, over to his enemies who want to kill him. Just as I turned King Zedekiah of Judah over to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It's a prophecy. It turns out it was fulfilled. You know what's the proof? According to Herodotus, a historian. This is what he says. According to historian Herodotus, Hophra, the pharaoh, lost his throne in 570 B.C. He sent Amasis, one of his generals, to quell a revolt, a revolt among his army. But the army united behind Amasis and made him pharaoh. Amasis defeated Hophra in battle and imprisoned him. Some time later, Amasis handed Hophra over to the Egyptians, who were clamoring for Hophra's death. And what happened? Strangled it. So the prophecy was actually fulfilled. So the point is the prohibition is not for us. No, it is for the Judeans who kept their vow to worship the Queen of Heaven and who resided in the 6th century BC. Where? In Egypt. But it doesn't apply to us. What's the proof? Next slide. After the, after the uh, captivity, what happened? Nehemiah 9, 5-6. Then the leaders of the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, oh my goodness, Hashna, Neah, Sherebiah, Hodaya, Shebaniah, and Pethaniah. These are all nice names to give you kids, huh? Call out to the people. Stand up and praise. Yahuwah, your God, for he lives from everlasting to everlasting. Then they prayed, may your glorious name be praised. May be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are. Yahuwah, they voiced out that name, Yahuwah. You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth, the seas, and everything in them. You preserved them all, and the angels of heaven worship you. And so after captivity, they worship God. They, built, they rebuilt the temple. However, it was never the same. The restoration wasn't complete. Eventually, the name was lost, because when they were held captive in Babylon, they mocked the name of Yahuwah. That's why they were called the Yahoos. Did you know that? The people of God held captive in, in, uh, in Babylon were called the Yahoos. They were mocked. And so what did the people of, of Judah decide to do? Let's not use that name anymore. Let's hide that name so it cannot be mocked. And so that tradition kept on until the time of the Jews today. But it was never a prohibition that came from who? The Father. What's the proof? In the book of Psalms forty five, seventeen? I will make your name to be remembered in all, because God knows it will be forgotten. But the Bible says, his name will be caused to be remembered. What else? Isaiah 52, 5-6, what is this? Asks the Lord, why are my people enslaved again? Those who rule them shout in exultation, my name is blasphemed all day long. But I will reveal. I will reveal my name to my people. They will come to know its power. And at last, they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. Do you believe this prophecy? Do you believe this promise of the Father? I do. Does He want His name to be revealed? Yes. I believe that. This is why God is raising our consciousness to the name, the name of the Father. This is why God has led us by His Spirit to look at the name. Why? Because this will be fulfilled. We will know the name of the Father. Why? Why? Because according to the prophecy, Zechariah 13, verse 9, I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, Yahweh is my God. This is my question for those who don't believe. Now we should even pronounce the name. What will you say there then? Do you believe you're part of one-third? I do, brother. Do you believe you were tested? I do, brother. Do you believe you passed the test? I do, brother. Do you believe what God wants us to do is to call in his name? Yes, brother. What's his name? Lord. That's what it says. Do you believe it actually says Lord? If you believe the name is Lord, L-O-R-D, do you know, according to the Hebrew dictionary, who is also called L-O-R-D if it uses a name? Next slide, please. Hebrews Strong, H168, Baal. Baal. What does it say at the bottom? Baal equals what? Lord. So if we go back, next, go back to the, the slide, are you going to keep calling him? Are you going to use the name Lord? Is that his name? That's his title. But if you use it as a name, there's nothing wrong with calling God Lord if it's not his name. But if you will turn to turn to the prophecy, and you will use the term Lord there as a name. Then it's like the battle that's been going on ever since Elijah. Remember Elijah? When he was battling against the prophets of Baal? Choose for yourself. Yahuwah or Baal. You know today, that's the choice you're going to make. Who are you going to choose? The L-O-R-D? That's not in the actual scripture. Or next slide. Or are you going to choose... Next slide, Yahuwah. For me, I'm going to choose Yahuwah. Yahuwah, because that's the name of God. That's the name of the Father. And the prophecy says, we're going to call on that name. And the prophecy says, we're going to say, Yahuwah is my God. This is why, brethren, I don't want to use a L-O-R-D there. It doesn't mean I don't recognize him as my Lord. He is, but that's not his name. Because the name Lord means Baal. I will not call my God Baal. I'm going to call him by his name. Yahuwah, the tetragrammaton. Out of respect for him. How would you feel if you had kids and your kids called you by a different name? How would you feel if the kids you loved and take care of called you by the name of your enemy? Brethren, we ought to honor that name. Yahusha says, hallowed be the name of the Father. We cannot make it hallowed. We cannot make it great. We cannot honor that name unless we know the name and use the name. There's no prohibition from using the name. The Bible says exalt the name, praise the name, use the name, invoke the name because we are the sons and daughters of our Allahim, our God. And we have been given that right to use his name. Praises be to our Lord Yahusha. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray. Everlasting Father, yes. our gracious, loving God, Amen. Yahuwah. Yes. Yahuwah, our Father. Yes. You are great to your people. Yes. yes, We know the depth of your compassion. I believe in your work in these last days. Yes. Include the revelation of your name. Yes. That we, your people, will be able to call upon you and honor your true name. Amen. Father, bless your servants because we go through many tribulations. Yes. There are many who oppose and attack the truth about your name. Yes. May you bless them. Open their eyes and their yes. ears. Give them understanding in their hearts that they will also find your name precious rather than blaspheme your name. Honor it, exalt it, worship it. Father, help us to be patient. Help us to be filled with love because we know the name has been revealed not just so that we will pronounce it because you know our tongue. We are inept. We make wrong pronunciations all the time. But what matters most to you is our understanding of your name. What it means in our mind and in our hearts. It means how precious you are. How you make yourself available to us. That is contained in the meaning of your name. You are there for us. Every single moment of our life. And so we will declare your name. We will not worship in secret. We will not hide your name. We will announce it for your glory and honor. Lord Yahusha. thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. Stand by our side, especially when we go through persecution. Strengthen our hearts and faith and help us to walk your path. Even if it means enduring suffering, so long as you are with us, we will be able to overcome. Thank you, Father, for all your blessings. Help us to hold on to your truth. Bless every family, O God. Help us to live our life with love and patience. We can properly honor your holy name. We ask and beg everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha. Amen. Amen.